Welcome to the Academy of Esports podcast. I am your host, James O'Hagan. Today, I have the pleasure of welcoming in Dr. Andrew Byrne, who is a uh, staff member at Cal Poly San Luis Obispo. I also love to say this, uh, Dr. Byrne, uh, it came to the school from the Ohio University, not that other university that in Ohio likes to uh, play it up. But uh, really quick, he does hold a bachelor's degree in political science and history from Grove City College, two master's degrees, one in rehabilitation counseling and substance abuse and the other in clinical counseling and a doctorate in rehabilitation counseling addictions. All of these from East Carolina University. Dr. Byrne, thank you for being a guest in the Academy of Esports podcast today. Thank you for having me. Well, it's it's funny how we we connected it. And well, I guess it's not funny anymore in this world. I mean, a lot of these connections, you see people starting to pop up in Twitter and uh, you're not necessarily somebody who's involved with gaming per se. You're not so necessarily somebody who oversees an esports program. But I just kept seeing you chime in on these esports related things. And and again, looking into your background, I went, wow, here's a really interesting person who might have some really interesting uh, perspectives on things. So, again, I thank you for being a guest here today. Um, I kind of wanted to dive in first with, you know, one of the big things I know that uh, comes up a lot with esports and especially with parents, you know, worried about addiction and teachers who push back and say, uh, this is, we're just feeding into addictions when we, when we're doing this, how, how, again, given your expertise in this field, I mean, how easy it is to just say that blatantly and just throw it out there and say this, everything that we've seen with kids and gaming and this interest in esports is all about addiction. Um, yeah, I, I think that's, I mean, that's been going on for uh, a couple decades at least now, I would mm-hmm. think. Um, you know, I can remember rushing home in high school, middle school, and uh, getting onto Super Mario Brothers and just trying to max min my way through uh, to beat my my record time. Um, and it was, it was a compulsion to do so. I, you know, I, I felt like uh, I would think about it on my way home, I would think. Uh, this is what I will do first. And I did mm-hmm. that first. Um, and part of that salience of, of doing something is is often part of how we're, we're defining addiction. Um, the problem is when we talk about addiction, we're really talking about interference in uh, the activities of daily life. Um, I, did, I did see people who were addicted to video games when I was a, a doc student and uh, even while I was a therapist. Um, got to work with a few and my gosh, um, defining addiction back then was, was, uh, every bit as, um, as, as, uh, difficult as it, as it is now, I would say, um, at the time that I started studying it as part of my research, I had noticed already a parallel between, um, adventure based counseling and like ropes course and group building stuff and video games, uh, because in both instances, you're in this scenario that, that's got borders on it, but you've got freedom within those borders to improvise and uh, fail and try again and things like that. That was why I was a gamer. Uh, mm-hmm. Same reason I liked group building and things like that. Um, and so I came into it in, a, in a, uh, an addiction degree program thinking, you know, I wanna do some work around this stuff and my first, my first impulse was, was to look at addiction in that context, since uh, that was a big part of my training. Mm-hmm. Um, Anna 
certainly something I had seen in the people I was working with. So I, I do this addiction study uh, for World of Warcraft. I, I surveyed 6,000 people. Um, at the time, I, I've, I had not seen a larger survey and I was just so happy to get that many people. Um, my objective was to redefine uh, internet addiction and to start um, by splitting game addiction from internet, internet addiction. So mm -hmm. the, the primary instrument at the time was the internet addiction test, IAT. And, um, you know, as the IAT defined things, uh, it, it was like these scale questions and it would be how often do you do this or that or whatever. One of the questions was build new relationships online. And I just had a real problem with that question. I thought, why would doing that more be a problem? And that just made me want to work on what, what's the validation behind this instrument. Um, and in the end, my study found that question didn't fit. It didn't predict overall addiction, nor did it predict whether someone thought they were addicted. Uh, it, it just didn't mathematically fit into the, the reliability of the instrument. So I immediately started thinking like, wait, 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 wait let's, pa let's pause on that. Cause that's a huge, sure. okay. Cause these measurement tools for people who don't know, especially when you're doing these things, this isn't Andrew's test who he just created this. A lot of these tools have been researched, vetted, some have some kind of approval. And what you're saying is one of the questions asked was building uh, about building social relationships online, basically. Yes. And it was seen as it, and was it perceived in this, questionnaire is being negative yes it would contribute to a score that would determine how addicted you were wow and we think of course nowadays it's like especially coming out of the pandemic it's like all our relationships are, are practically online we, we almost don't <laughs> think in the last year of going to a face-to-face -face gathering or a get-together i mean there's yes. been so many that that is so interesting especially again me being somebody who who subscribes heavily to the self-determination theory and one of the big components of self-determination theory is that the, the building of community. It is mm -hmm. that building of relationships and having those peers that really relate to what you're doing, driving your intrinsic motivation around. Absolutely. Things. So, yeah. OK, I'm sorry. I wanted to hit on that because I think that that for, for people who are listening to this and realizing, wait, building social connections online. I want to make sure that we hit that point that that these surveys aren't always very clearly um I, I, there, there's bias in a little bit of everything that we do sometimes, oh, especially yes. with some of these tools. So, yeah. And okay. Yeah, so sorry. I, please. I sussed that out and, and, uh, and it, you know, it, it, it was immediately suspect to me, but it mathematically worked out to just not correlate. So I could, I could empirically uh, remove that question uh, and say, that's just not valid. Um, and another, another interesting correlation that had been found in the literature was the, amount of time spent on the internet was correlating with addiction. And in my study, it did not. Um, and so what, what, what you're finding is like, you can be intrinsically motivated to engage in things. Uh, and that doesn't mean you're addicted and quantity of time doesn't mean that you're addicted. And, uh, I, I remember during my dissertation defense pointing, pointing out that most of the people I surveyed, uh, I think five sixths of, of my sample, so around five thousand people, were playing on average, uh, you know, eighteen twenty hours a week. <clears throat> and people, people in the, the defense were saying, "That's a lot of time. That's like a part time job." 
And I said, yeah, but it's something they come back to voluntarily and they want to and they're not being paid. Mm -hmm. um, and think of if we could get you as interested in uh, your uh, substance abuse treatment or in finding a new career or in learning a new skill as you are in playing a game, we could get 20 hours a week out of you. Imagine that. Mm -hmm. And the, the, you know, this striking question from from one of our faculty uh, at my defense. Uh, and I remember it was it was April 1, 2013. And he says, so which side of this are you on? You know, uh, it sounds like you're straddling using games. And I said, I think I'm moving toward using games. Uh, and, and that was the pivot for me. And that's eight years ago. Before again, when when I got started with esports was late 2014, and it was just one of these casual conversations by an assistant superintendent who gave me permission to explore it. He said, "Hey, there's scholarships now at Robert Morris University. We are just down the road. Can we get access to these? Can you set? Can you research this for us?" And having that okay when for so long. Video games, even as as I was at that time, about 15 years into my educational career, even though I had brought them in at the start, it wasn't something it was almost like a secret. It was almost something like it was you know, keep it quiet. It was that's, you know, oh, it's the thanks. It's right before Thanksgiving. It's right before break. I'm going to bring in my PS2 and we're going to play some video games, you know, as part of our party. Never thinking about it as as you're saying is, you know, thinking about 20 hours and what can you do with 20 hours? Mm -hmm. And how can you retrain or even get people to think differently by dedicating, but if they can willingly dedicate 20 hours a week to something that is, that is really fascinating to me. I hope it is to everybody else. So, <laughs> <laughs> so when, when we're looking at this, cause uh, you know, there's been books, you know, Dr. Chris Ferguson was a co-writer on a book uh, called uh, uh, moral combat. And I interviewed him and, talked about, again, how some of these studies and research that have been done in the past is is skewed because they are either paid for by certain organizations who really want to try to find an answer that fits their moral pejorative or whatever. When you first started to explore this topic even further, did you get more, were there people in, did you have more people pushing back on you, I guess, or kind of rolling eyes or did, were there, did you have allies in this? Space. Oh yeah, there was there was quite a bit of pushback. Um, um, there were so uh, Dr. Kimberly Young, who developed the IAT, was was fairly supportive, but um, uh, also very quiet after I published. Like, didn't really um, never communicated with me again. <laughs> um, oh boy, uh, had a few people at conferences kind of bring up some of the anecdotal instances um you know there's um uh woolly i forget her first name uh there's there's a uh one of the first addiction gaming addiction uh treatment centers uh in pennsylvania mm -hmm. um got i got a little pushback from her over linkedin at one point uh you know there were um in in trying to engage people in the, the idea that um, the addiction isn't in the game, it's in the, per the, the relationship that a person has with whatever they're addicted to. <clears throat> uh, we don't want to hear that in the addiction community quite often um, because the solution in addiction is to give up the thing rather than the relationship. Um, and, you know, maybe I'm oversimplifying that. I'm kind of putting uh, a lot of 
skipping a lot of nuance, let's say, in the, the profession. But in well, terms of games, that was really the argument. They designed the game to 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 trap you, to get get you, you know. Well, but that's interesting because right now, especially the loot boxes, right? Loot boxes are seen as gambling is seen. You know, the European Union has come out very strongly against loot boxes. Um, even recently, uh, there was a document that came out from EA that said, basically, you know, we're trying to get everybody to do these microtransactions and loot boxes are a major thing. Is is are those kind of things? Because it sounds like they are consciously trying to build in parts of a game that plays to that gambling that that you know those the, is gambling addiction i mean is addiction addiction is the gambling addiction or the gambling component of a game different than the uh you know the, the regular overwatch or the regular league of legends side of things uh, it, are we starting to bleed the two together i, I think mean. they've you know when going back to the construction of the iat um they actually began um, pairing these together and and the original proposal for uh, putting video game addiction into the DSM was on the template of gambling. Uh, in fact, gambling got into the DSM before any uh, uh, idea, you know, it's the only separate thing from, from other addictions. So mm-hmm. you had substance abuse uh, originally and now they're called substance use disorders. Um, but at the time, gambling was the foot in the door for behavioral addiction. And so the, the first concepts of video game addiction really came exactly from the criteria of gambling. Hmm. But gambling, of course, is more of a game of chance and video games are more of a game of skill. I know heck, it, people may be surprised to hear this, but I know that pinball machines for the longest time were banned in the city of New York, I think up until the early 70s. Because they were seen as gambling, they were seen as a game of chance. You hit the ball, and the ball bounces around, and then you get your score. And um, so, it, it I think it's just really important to um, at this point in the conversation to really make sure that people realize that that those things are not necessarily it, it uh, having those connections together aren't necessarily the same in research. But like I said, it seems like companies now are figuring out ways to include those. I hate to say it, addictive qualities that they find in other things into these gaming environments that are intrinsically motivating for kids or for anybody, really, adults, seniors, whomever. Is that is that the slippery slope we are on right now or is that the thing you're seeing right now? I think we've been on it for, for a long time. I think uh, every, time a, every time we get further into something that engages us with such excitement... Um, the same people are coming back uh, with the same argument that, uh, well, this is clearly now we're we're uh, manipulating people in an unhealthy way, and now this this one will spell our doom for sure. You know, it's mm-hmm. um, having watched the the GameStop uh, stock stock uh, uh, show. <laughs> <laughs> that was great. Um, I loved and- watching that. Yeah, and you know, I made a few bucks off it, and uh, then I lost a few bucks, but it was less than I made, so I made out a little, little bit. Yeah. Um, but you know, watching that, it's kind of like, well, why did you stay in the stock if you don't know what you're doing? Isn't that the same as gambling? If you don't know how to read the charts or what the real due diligence is behind this, and 
you know, someone's going to be left holding the bag at the end. And, and a lot of people who are in that stock say, you know, I don't care. I'm part of something big and we're having fun. And so I'm going to invest enough that I'm going to have fun with this. And, and I've spoken, I've chatted with those people. Um, and isn't that gambling too? And also, aren't they saying this is fun? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, Wall Street is in New York. So, you know, what is what is pinball versus Wall Street? You know, um, one of the things that they like to say on Reddit about that is, um, sir, this is a casino. <laughs> uh, you know, it's it's uh, every time we, we find something that compels us, that gets us interested. I think we hit that same thing. Uh, mm-hmm. Binge watching shows on Netflix. We every time I watch like 10 episodes of something in a row, I just think, I can't imagine going back 10 years ago and waiting till next week for, for another episode of this. Yeah. I don't know. I don't like what Disney plus has been doing with uh, slowly <laughs> doing the drip release or, and it's, you know, Amazon's doing it now with invincible. I'm like, come on, please stop that. I, but, but you know, but you watch the next one, don't you? I do. But, <laughs> but you know what I equate it to in my brain? I equate it to reading a book, you know, mm-hmm. that next chapter, opening up the next chapter and being able, and then you know you're going to get to the end. Eventually you're going to get to the end. And if you really like the book, you go back and read it again. If it's a show, you go back and watch it again. You may rewatch an episode a few times. There's a show I watch on Netflix. I'll give it a plug right now. Hardy Bucks. Nobody's ever heard of it because they did terrible job of, of, uh, of promoting themselves. It's this show. It's basically like uh, trailer park boys, but West of Ireland. I love it. I'll watch every episode over and over and over uh, would I call it addiction? No, because it doesn't take away from my life. It doesn't. I'm not, mm-hmm. you know, I'm not not going to work because I'm not watching it. I think that's the thing yeah. that people don't realize is, is that when you were talking about addiction, it's the harmful things that I think are are lost. Yes, there, you may spend 20 hours a week doing it, but are you skipping to work to do it? Are you not eating? Are you not socializing? Are you not living your life as as you would every single day and right. consuming your yeah. life? Is yes. that is that the is that the sign? I guess you could say is that the warning? You know, that's that's like the pivotal uh, diagnostic criteria for anything in behavioral and mental health. Does it interfere with daily activities? Hmm. You know, when we talk about depression or anxiety, things like that. Uh, same thing. Is it interfering with work? Is it interfering with social relationships? Is it uh, interfering with sleep and eating? Um, you know, those are some basic questions that that speak to quality of life. And so, you know, I would look at it and say, if it's lowering the quality of life, um, you know, that's that's going to be uh, when we start to say maybe this is a problematic behavior. Well, let me ask this, because um, you, you talked about your research. You said you 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 did an interview. Well, not interview, but questionnaire. Was it it was questionnaire, right? Yes. Six six thousand World of Warcraft players. I guess what was, you know, I'm sure a lot of people had hypotheses about how that was going to go and, you know, how many people it was going to be. Maybe your chair, you know, had had some some questions. But what was the most surprising thing that you found coming out of that? Other than like the question, the social question was seen as a negative rather than potentially a positive. But what was what was something uh, really interesting you found that came out of your research and your dissertation with that? Um, I would say, you know, outside of the because I, I was not surprised at the relationship question not fitting, but mm-hmm. I think I was surprised at the number, the, the proportion of people that just were not addicted 
not even in the moderate range of addiction and we're mm -hmm. playing 20 hours a week. Uh, you know, I, I really think that was the most surprising. Mm -hmm. Um, and then, yeah, I would say that's, that was the most surprising outcome to me. Okay. I think that was the most important one. Uh, and maybe another one was the, the average age was in the mid twenties. Okay. So well, these were not, you know, I think a lot of people at the time were thinking world of Warcraft is coming along and, snatching these kids out of their their schoolwork and most people were in their 20s um so yeah it's well let's kind of transition because you know i think this i think this segues well because of course colleges now are building up esports programs whether they are really connected to the university or whether they are you know recruiting tools or or whatever mm -hmm. and of course they're pulling in kids who with either a, a promise of a, a small stipend, if we will, we'll call it a scholarship, or um, I don't know if any of these kids have pipeline dreams to pros, but I've started asking the questions about, you know, the grind. You know, you're, we were talking just now about 20 hours a week, but we know some of these kids are playing these video games for a lot longer. Mm -hmm. um, and I feel like there needs to start being an accounting, not just of what the graduation rates of some of these programs are, but also the churn, you know, how many kids are staying in for a full degree or how many are, you know, coming in, staying for a short time, finding out this isn't for them and getting out. And you brought and I posted that up on Twitter and you came back with saying, well, we should be looking at the CAS standards for higher learning. I didn't I don't even know what the CAS standards are. So I figured, you know what? The, I figured this would be a great conversation topic. And, and I think this was the impetus to start the conversation today, but of course we've gone into so many other things. What exactly are the CAS standards for, for higher education? So in a nutshell, uh, council for Adv advancement of standards in higher ed, uh, came about because you had this growing profession of student affairs. So I come from originally a mental health and uh, clinical kind of counseling background. Mm -hmm. Um, and so did student affairs. Student affairs started kind of as this guidance counseling, but in college uh, realms, uh, you know, community colleges and universities. Student affairs, uh, because of the importance of co-curricular activity, so that's stuff that, it, that occurs parallel to the curriculum that helps keep people engaged. And we know that, uh, you know, a student is more likely to engage in college and be successful if they are applying their physical and psychological efforts toward what they do in college, if we can have programming and personnel and support systems in place to help engage students in college, they will be more successful, they're more likely to complete, and they're more likely to have post-graduation uh, outcomes that are better, then that means that student affairs as a profession needed an accreditation standard so that we could mm -hmm. say this is a this is a student affairs program and it's it's got a solid foundation behind it so it's kind of part of the the history of the professionalization of student affairs as it split away from this kind of broad term of counseling mm -hmm. uh, counseling split into career counseling addiction counseling rehabilitation counseling mental health counseling clinical mental health counseling and uh, and on so you know, student affairs kind of split off and said, we're student affairs and here's our professional standards. And so if you see um, 
the, the CAS standards out there, it's basically a, an, an effort to standardize and professionalize what it means to uh, have a, a student affairs program and what criteria can be in place to assess those programs and assure that they are meeting the outcomes that, that they should be meeting. Well, and that makes absolute perfect sense because as most people, I don't know if most people realize this, the vast majority of esports programs are not under athletics. They are under either student affairs or, or some, they're usually under that student life or whatever they, they call it at the university level. Mm-hmm. Which is great because, again, as you're saying, here are the, here are the things that can support a quality program that we've all agreed on, and it doesn't just need to be about the, I guess you could say, the athletics side of things. So that's that's really interesting, and I've never really thought about it that way, especially with certifications. Now, you know, there, there's all kinds of certifications that always pop up, of course, and. Um, you know, there's the C- Esports Certificate Institute, which was announced yesterday. And I'm just kind of tossing this out there. I don't know how much we want to get into this, but um, I saw it. And let me ask this. Let, let's make this a pro uh, a positive question rather than a question to just kind of tear something apart. Mm-hmm. When you're looking for a certification program or if you're looking for somebody who carries a certificate, what is one quality, I guess, that you look for? If you want to start with the CIS, that's fine as well, too. What is something that you would look for as far as that certification program having merit to you? Um, yeah, I would look for parity with the setting in which it's going into. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can kind of merge that concern with uh, what's going on. Are you still there? We have a disconnection. My screen drive. All right, let's try oh, this again. Okay. Sorry. Yes. Te- technical oh. issue. Oh, no right, problem. Let me ask the question again. When you when you're looking at certification programs, what is the what is one of the things that you look for if you want to say talk about CAS that is going to tell you that this is a quality certification program? I would look for uh, their move in how they want to move into the context that they are looking to certify. So, you know, as an educator in an educator space, uh, I'm looking for parity with education um, and the standards that are already present in education. So -hmm. when I look at the culture of esports, there's kind of a mix, you know, there, there's good competition. There's certainly excitement. There's the, the power of crowds. There's, uh, challenge. There's growth. There's learn through through continued failure until you succeed. There's teamwork. These great things, um, and also there's money, and mm-hmm. then there's marketing, and then there's coaches, and there's culture, and there are Twitch streams and comments in Twitch streams, and the personalities that come along in in uh, Twitch streams, and uh, not to get onto Twitch. I guess it's probably in Facebook and YouTube. Uh, Ironically, that's where we're also broadcasting this. So, hey, (laughs) there we go. But but, you know, as as you see this, it's kind of like, okay. so once these two cultures merge, which one is going to be most salient? And in education, we're trying to provide spaces where, for example, um, female identified students are getting full access to education. And if they're not getting full access, meaning they're being targeted, harassed, anything like that. If that kind of thing is protected, then the institution is responsible for correcting it 
mm-hmm. uh, and preventing it, putting things in place to prevent that uh, harassment from taking place. It's illegal. And so, you know, when you have a, an institution where it's not necessarily illegal, just, you know, which, you know, if I can call esports an institution, I would say it's more of a, a region. I don't know. Uh, but you know, I'm looking for can they can they land and merge with the education space while still meeting the the outcomes and interests of education itself. So I'm looking for do the standards match with education? Can this could could this person sit in a meeting of education professionals and talk shop? Mm-hmm. I, I look at the, you know, for example, I look at this, you know, the certification things. And I realized, too, that as I was looking through the amazing list of advisors that there were. And, and at some point I said, this is virtue signaling. This is the, the, all these people did not advise on any of this stuff, because when you have 50 people on an advisory or however many it was, like I said, the list was very long. It's almost like you're just collecting bodies and names to put them on a website to say, see, here's everybody. But not one educator was in there. Mm. And and what I realized, too, looking at this was, you know, we're talking about, by and large, an industry that is built on the backs of miners. You know, there's a lot of miners in this space, not like any other industry. I mean, the fast food industry, sure. But I mean, we have protections and laws to protect them from being exploited. You know, there is there was nobody at the table I could tell who could speak to what minors need. Uh, even people under 20, let's just say people under 21 even, even though I know an 18 year old is an adult. That to me is problematic. And also the the other big problem that I have too is that it still feels like because esports loves its gatekeeping and we, we gatekeep for whatever reasons, either people wanna keep their por- portion of the profit pie or there's educators who are like, you know, trying to keep Again, people out for building their profit pies or whatever it is. Um, there, there, there is still that sense of gatekeeping with this, and there's there was a lot of, I, I guess it's like a, I'm not saying it's a bad first attempt. It's an attempt. I will just say that. How is that? And that opens up the doors, I think, for others uh, to again build bigger coalitions, broader coalitions, and have I think a big conversation about what exactly are we trying to accomplish here with this. Again, I, I. I I don't know of any other place that has a certification where it's just like, here's a marketing certification. Uh, okay. I, I don't know how this grows your industry, but all right. I, I don't know. It, it feels very uh, rushed, but I, I don't know if you feel kind of the same way with the with your reaction to this. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's almost like a guild or a union kind of mm. thing yeah. that I see happening. Um. Because the flip side of the thing, I, I think gatekeeping is certainly one of the terms that I would use there. Um, because you know what happens if you're not in that certification, or you don't, you split with the philosophy of the that certification, and then you try to get a job in a, mm-hmm. a climate where that certification has been just accepted as the gold standard. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you know they're what they're describing as esports. I've had so many arguments with coaches, esports coaches uh, who are in the education sector mm-hmm. who argue about the uh, what uh, Mark Garvey Candela uh, described in a recent keynote that I heard as 
the the small percent of people who are in competitive esports versus most people who are in casual esports. Yep. And you know, my argument with these coaches is always you're so focused on this little group when the interest at a university should be in everyone, uh, especially much of these larger groups. Even NCAA, the average NCAA athlete is not going to go pro. Right. Uh, even at the top 10, uh, NCAA athletes aren't going to go pro. Just a few of them will. And, um, and I think, too, this speaks to, as you're alluding to, there's the maybe it, it is worth saying, okay, if you want to have a competitive esports certification, cool. But yeah. I look at our landscape and and I'm not looking at I'm looking at this as only organized competitive video games, not necessarily AAA titles, not necessarily Overwatch or League of Legends or anything. I mean, I I could argue that we have an amazing uh, group of of elementary kids at my school who are hyper competitive among us players like Oh, we've had to set up so many new rules around how discussions take place and persuasive. It's been great lessons around persuasive speaking. I'll tell you that. But, you know, would people watch this? I can tell you this. I bet you if you saw these kids, the way that they play and the stone faces that they have and the way that they murk people just right and left, uh, you could make a comp- competition out of Among Us. And but those again, those kids are not going to go pro for it. But again, we're looking at this from a a different lens. We're looking at this and, and I think that's where the marriage has to take place. We're going to have to figure mm-hmm. out, come to a common ground about, you know, competitive esports people, you know, the phase clans of the world, the excess, you want to do that, go right ahead. We have to build, we have our walled garden, our ecoverse over here where we're looking at things on a much broader scale mm-hmm. because ultimately, look, we should be having fun doing this. If you're not having fun doing this, you're stressing out too much. Absolutely. Play and, a game. And, the, and not just fun. I mean, there's so much else that come out, comes out of it. Um, you know, my latest research uh, has been on the, the opportunity that is given to us by esports to teach and learn leadership um, uniquely mm-hmm. given to us by esports. I've seen students who, uh, in fact, one right now who he, he unfortunately did not go to college. He chose not to go to college. Uh, he's working at the Amazon uh, facility down in Kenosha. Uh, top player in the United States. He was the NACAD top player the, uh, in the, across the country last year. And uh, I, I've, I, But at least it's opening the conversation of, Angel, you are so much more a leader than what you're showing right now. Like you should be heading up businesses or running a company or, or a manager or something. And... and I think now he sees that. I think he see because he showed it. He expressed it. It took him. And it, here's a great thing too with this: it takes a lot of our kids' time to learn how to be leaders. And this is a great opportunity because we don't have a team of eighty. You've usually got a team of five or a team of three or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Learning to be leaders and learning how to be vulnerable. I think that's yeah. the hard thing. We don't do that good in our society. We don't do it. Either you have the answer or you're an idiot. That's mm-hmm. a, a lot of times what it is. And I think especially for teachers and for, for teachers to demonstrate vulnerability to their students and that it's OK not to be perfect. I struggle with that myself, to speak honestly. Um, yeah, you, there's there's so much more than a certification around marketing or how to read, a, a you know, standard deviations or anything like that. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, and Dr. Katrina Atkins is, although one could say what's wrong with Amazon not going to college, he hates Amazon. 
he, he went there thinking he was going to have this great job. And he's like, now what do I do? I, and I'm like, you have something that can carry you to college. Like, even if, you know, you have you have a skill that you can go get some kind of degree and, and play esports to keep you connected to the university. And I think for some of our kids, even though they're great at doing that, they don't necessarily see that all the way. So um, anyway, we, we I, you know, I said before we got started, we could probably go on for a couple of hours here. Uh, Dr. Byrne, but um, do you have any final thoughts that you'd like to share? Because I'd love to have you back in the near future as well, too, because I think th- this is going to be like a six month kind of review of what is the current state of things. But do you have any final thoughts that you wish to share with the group today or things you want to promote or share? Yeah, I've, I really want to promote the uh, especially in the collegiate space. Um, you know, there are a lot of clubs out there. There are a lot of leagues and clubs and things that are kind of under the radar that uh, I think, um, you know, if, if uh, there are people, faculty seeing this stuff, people who are uh, not totally involved, you know, most of these programs need more people to step into, uh, I think, what UCI calls the ecosystem. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm, I'm primarily doing research and then I'm... Um, I'm also a faculty advisor for esports clubs at, at Cal Poly. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's, it's interesting. A lot of these students don't know what they've got until you show them, until you can, you know, we, uh, we connected um, someone who was streaming uh, for our university events to now a project that's got co-sponsors uh, nationally. Um, we're planning to stream the largest cyber uh, cyber technology competition in the world on Twitch. That is very cool. I don't know if Twitch has ever streamed a game with 10,000 players, but we're about to, and it's going to be awesome. And it's, it's just kind of like, these are new openings that, you know, you, you just can't turn to an accreditation or a book to find. It's Mm -hmm. just like, this stuff is exploding right now. The ecosystem is growing. And so when I talk about leadership in esports, it's kind of like finding your niche and expanding your area um, no matter where it is. I think there's a place for everyone in esports. You know, I suck at games. I do too. I'm terrible. <laughs> I, I, was, I was great uh, probably 25 years ago and then it went away and, and never came back. But I'll I was never you, great at games. You know, I'll play call in Overwatch and people think I'm good and will win. <laughs> and there's a reason it's it's not me. It's because the game is designed to harness some of that stuff. And mm. so I want to, you know, I I think if there's one thing I can promote with people, it's like, you know, I think what we, we can get out of games in the education space is trying on new hats and being victorious, even if we're the eternal noob. <laughs> I love that. That's a great, I love, that's a great takeaway. I'm, I'm going to sound clip that and, keep that or if people are watching on twitch take that and clip that for me uh dr andrew byrne this has been a pleasure of mine and i look forward to us doing this again in the near future thank you for being a guest on the academy of esports podcast today thank you thank you for having me that will do it for this week on the academy of esports i've been your host james o'hagan esports are organized competitive video games allowing schools to redefine their athletic culture diversify opportunities for student participation promote good physical and mental health, increase collegiate scholarship pathways, and play games. We can never forget the importance of play. 
The mission of the Academy of Esports is to support these ideals. The vision of the Academy of Esports is for all students to experience the fun and joy of playing competitive video games. You may follow me on Twitter at Jim O'Hagan. That's at J-I-M-O-H-A-G-A-N and through the Academy of Esports account at T-A-O Esports. It's a great way to get the latest blog posts, podcast episodes, and news coming out of esports and education. And remember, you can continue your engagement by going to www.taoesports.com. You can also connect through Facebook at www.facebook.com slash TAO Esports. Thanks again for listening, and I look forward to our time again next week. <laughs>